Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Sheckman. There was a saying during the Vietnam era, the attribution of which is a bit fuzzy, that if you grab them by the balls, their hearts and minds will follow. I suppose this was not inconsistent with another quote from that era that said, come, let us reason together or we'll burn down your village. Vietnam, like so many counterinsurgency efforts before and since, was or should have been about winning those hearts and minds. For the most part, though, the political, foreign policy, and military establishment never seemed to get that right. However, during the Vietnam era, one man did. He was Major General Edward Lansdale. He was military, OSS, and in retrospect, maybe the only true wise man of the time. Now foreign policy scholar Max Boot gives us a full look at Lansdale and why this obscure figure from the period should have been a household name. Max Boot is an author, military historian, and foreign policy analyst. He is the Gene Kirkpatrick Senior Fellow in National Security Studies at the Council on Foreign Relations. And his latest book is The Road Not Taken, Edward Lansdale and the American Tragedy in Vietnam. Max Boot, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Great to have you here. First of all, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about who Edward Lansdale was. Edward Lansdale was this legendary covert operative uh, who, in the 1940s and 50s, went to the Philippines on behalf of the CIA and masterminded the defeat of the Hook Rebellion, this communist insurgency. And then in 1954, he was sent to Saigon to help create the new state of South Vietnam, which he did. Later on, he came back to the United States and found himself at odds with American policy on Vietnam. He counseled the Kennedy administration not to overthrow and kill his friend, No Dinh Diem, the president of South Vietnam. They ignored his advice, and the consequences were every bit as disastrous as he had predicted. This occurred in 1963. And a couple of years later, he counseled the Johnson administration not to commit half a million American troops to South Vietnam and not to imagine that we could bomb the uh, Vietnamese communists into submission. Lansdale argued we needed to create a stable, legitimate, and popular state in South Vietnam that could win the support of the people. And his advice was uh, sadly and tragically ignored. And so my book is called The Road Not Taken because there was an alternative path that Lansdale sketched out uh, that would not have resulted in the deaths of 58,000 Americans and millions of Vietnamese in this uh, in this conflict. I want to go back to the early 60s, to the what arguably is kind of the original sin, the overthrow of Ziem, and how he saw another way, that, that Ziem had been, been kind of taken over or influenced by new, and the perception was that he had lost control. What did Lansdale see in that situation? Well, uh, you know, I think the turning point was, was the overthrow of No Din Ziem, because up until then, South Vietnam had a more or less functioning government, and the U.S. was in support of that government. And that was the way that Lansdale thought we should keep it. Uh, but once uh, the Kennedy administration backed the overthrow of No Dinh Diem in November of 1963, that destabilized South Vietnam. You had military coup after military coup. The communists stepped up their infiltration efforts, and that is why Lyndon Johnson decided he had to send all these troops in order to save South Vietnam. And you know, so I begin my book with the ZM coup because I think that was that was really the pivot point where we Americanized the war effort, took over uh, the fight ourselves, and that was something that Ed Lansdale uh, strongly opposed. And I think his his opposition has been amply vindicated by by history. Right. The American perception at the time was that ZM was was losing control. Talk a little bit about that, and, and what Lansdale thought could be salvaged. 
It's true that uh, that ZM uh, was in a crisis in 1963. There was a Buddhist uprising, militant Buddhist rising up against ZM, who was a Catholic president. Uh, you had Buddhist monks burning themselves in the streets of Saigon, and the consensus at the time among journalists and the Kennedy administration was that uh, ZM was hopelessly unpopular, and the only way to defeat the communists was to overthrow ZM and to get a new leader in, in South Vietnam, something that Lansdale warned against. Uh, and, I, and I think his warnings were vindicated because what happened when uh, ZM was overthrown? Did the situation get better? No, it actually got much worse. And, the, and just as he had warned, the military rulers who came after ZM turned out to be uh, less popular, less legitimate, uh, less honest uh, than ZM had been. Uh, so this was, I, I think, universally, almost universally read upon now, this was a, an enormous miscalculation by the by the Kennedy administration to back this coup. The other part of the miscalculation, which Lansdale also seemed to understand, is that once we overthrew ZM, that we owned it. It's, you know, if you break it, you own it. And that's kind of what happened. Exactly. That was that was the point where the war was, was Americanized uh, because, you know, we overthrew uh, South Vietnam's leader, somebody we did not care for at that by that point. And as you say, we, you break it, you own it. We took ownership of the war effort, and that's, it was a very short line from there to the commitment of half a million troops to, to Vietnam. At what point would it have been possible for Lansdale to be sent back, to go back there, and maybe try and pull the situation back together? He certainly tried. I mean, you talk about one meeting he has with McNamara that uh, is like a scene out of a movie. Yeah, the, there were these uh, these confrontations with uh, that he had with with Robert McNamara, his uh, his boss at the Department of Defense, and, and others in the U.S. government. There was a moment, I think, in, in early 1961, when President Kennedy very seriously considered appointing Ed Lansdale ambassador to uh, South Vietnam and sending him out there. And in retrospect, that could have been the move that salvaged the M. Uh, put him on a on a better path and prevented this fatal confrontation in 1963. But it didn't happen because of all this bureaucratic opposition to, to Lansdale. It was crystallized by this meeting he had with Robert McNamara. We didn't know the first thing about Vietnam. Uh, Lansdale had just come back from Vietnam uh, and brought with him some souvenirs, these captured weapons from the Viet Cong, uh, all covered in mud and blood. Uh, and he dumped those weapons unceremoniously on Lansdale on McNamara's immaculate desk and said, Mr. Secretary, these are the weapons that are being used by our enemies in Vietnam. They're not very sophisticated, and the people using these weapons, you wouldn't even recognize them as soldiers. They wear black pajamas and, and, and rubber sandals, but they are, in fact, licking the soldiers on our side uh, because they have something that the South Vietnamese don't have, which is the power of an ideal, the power of an idea. And the only way we're going to defeat them is by giving the troops on our side the power of a, of a greater idea. We're not going to bomb this revolution into oblivion. And in hindsight, that sounds like pretty wise advice, but McNamara was invincibly armored in his ignorance and arrogance and chose to disregard what, what Ed Lansdale had to say. Why do we always seem to get this wrong? I mean, part of this, the scope of this story and the, the power of the story you tell about Lansdale is not just as it relates to the history of Vietnam, but how we seem to be doing it over and over again. I mean, Afghanistan and, and, and Karzai is yet another example. That's exactly right. And we, we, we've seen this movie before and we, and we keep replaying it over and over. 
where we become estranged from local allies, whether it's Hamid Karzai in Afghanistan or Nuri al-Maliki in Iraq, much as we became estranged from Noden Ziam in the early 1960s. And all, in all those cases, the results of that confrontation were disastrous because it made it impossible for us to achieve our policy objectives in those countries. What we really need, I think, is, is an army of Ed Lansdales, uh, these high-level political advisors who can engage with foreign leaders very sympathetically, win them over, listen to them, establish relationships of trust, and gently steer them in the right direction so that we can avoid these kinds of disastrous confrontations with, with local allies like Karzai or Maliki. Why didn't Lansdale, or why wasn't he able to do a better job of communicating his point, his vision, his ideas? That is the great paradox of, of Edward Lansdale. He was somebody who was very skilled at winning foreign leaders. Uh, he was a, a leadership whisperer of genius, but he had a lot more trouble winning over American leaders. Uh, he alienated many of his superiors and rivals, and you know he got away with that for a while, but at the end of the day, his bureaucratic rivals finally ganged up on him and, and did him in. And uh, you know that was one of his quirks. He was just very much opposed to bureaucracy, and he was so opposed to uh, bureaucracy that he, in fact, uh, he treated the bureaucracy as an enemy and, and in so doing made it an enemy. And that was ultimately counterproductive. I mean, he, he is like this, this kind of T.E. Lawrence character in so many ways. He was. Uh, he was uh, actually sometimes called the, uh, the T. Lawrence of Asia. And there are a lot of points of comparison between them because they were both these advisors of genius who became very close to the people they were working with, in, in Lawrence's case in Arabia, in, in Lansdale's case in uh, Vietnam and the Philippines. And in both cases, they were also ultimately frustrated by the fruits of their labors because they felt betrayed by policymakers, whether in London or Washington, who ignored what they were trying to do and, and, and went off in a different direction. In Lawrence's case, uh, he was frustrated that uh, London carved, after World War One carved up the Middle East with Paris into these new British and French colonial empires, whereas he wanted independence for the Arabs. And Lansdale, of course, was very frustrated that uh, Washington launched this massive conventional war effort in, in Vietnam that he had warned consistently against. Talk a little bit about the pushback within the military and within the foreign policy establishment to Lansdale. He became, in, in certain quarters, a kind of pariah. Yes, he did. Uh, and this was, be again, because it was a habit of of making enemies out of out of bureaucratic rivals, in part because he had so much more success in the 1950s than a lot of his rivals at the CIA and State Department and, and, and military, and there was a lot of resentment that that built up over his success and in the way that he tended to run uh, roughshod often over the hierarchy, and you know he was became notorious in, in in Vietnam and the Philippines for overriding local ambassadors and going straight to his patron in Washington, CIA Director Alan Dulles. Uh, in order to win the day, and and he was successful doing that for a while, and he achieved tremendous results. But you know, in the 1960s, he no longer had Alan Dulles around to protect him, and the Kennedys protected him for a while. But then they assigned him to run Operation Mongoose to overthrow Fidel Castro. That failed, and once uh, you know Mongoose failed, he lost the protection of the Kennedys, and and was therefore left naked before his bureaucratic enemies. How did he view and, and respond to, both personally and publicly, the continued unraveling of Vietnam and, and, and the sense that, that he clearly saw that he was right? It was something that haunted him. I mean, he was in Vietnam again from 1965 to 1968, 
watching the war unfold up close and arguing against the against the conceit of Westmoreland and 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 other generals uh, that they could kill the Viet Cong faster than they could be replaced. Uh, he saw his advice ignored. He himself was mocked as this ineffectual outsider, and he finally went home for the last time in the summer of 1968 uh, after the Tet Offensive, feeling very much dejected, defeated, and demoralized. It was a it was just a very difficult period for him, uh, and you know he was haunted in, in retirement by that by that sense of failure and the and, and the what ifs and might have beens. What if you know he had been he, he had been listened to. It's an odd stub of this story, but how did Lansdale get caught up in the th- conspiracy theories about the Kennedy assassination? Well, that's that's a good question. It was a lot of it was the work of this kind of screwy uh, Air Force officer who worked for him at the Pentagon in the early 1960s, named Fletcher Prouty, and Lansdale concluded he was kind of a nut and, and moved him out of his office, but then. In his retirement, Prouty became this prolific conspiracy theorist affiliated with Lyndon LaRouche and the neo-Nazi liberty lobby and others. And after Lansdale's death in 1987, Prouty began claiming that uh, Lansdale was the mastermind of the John F. Kennedy assassination. And his entire evidence consisted of one photograph taken in Dallas on the day of Kennedy's murder, uh, showing some man from the rear walking by a couple of tramps being led away by two police officers. And, and Prouty claimed that this man from the rear was Ed Lansdale. And so based on this so-called evidence, uh, he uh, leveled charges against Lansdale of having uh, orchestrated the, the murder of JFK. And it's, you know, I, I find it to be a ludicrous conspiracy theory, but it was, in fact, the basis of Oliver Stone's movie JFK. And it continues to find favor in, in some of the wilder quarters of the Internet. Your book, The Road Not Taken, is, is certainly the most thorough look at, at Lansdale, but he's certainly been written about before in a lot of the Vietnam-era uh, literature. I mean, Sheehan wrote about him, Halberstam wrote about him. Why has he been paid so little attention to, particularly in light of, of some of the mistakes we seem to be made, have made again in the Middle East? Well, that's a great question. Um, he was always... You know, a figure who fig- who who is you know certainly prominent in the in the Vietnam story, and as you say, written about by all the major authors on Vietnam. And he was also said to be the model for the protagonist in Graham Greene's *The Quiet American*, as well as in *The Ugly American*. So there's a lot that's been written about him, but he's never really been gotten the kind of in-depth, detailed focus uh, that he deserves. And nobody else in the past has been able to write about him the way that I'm able to, because um, I just have new information that others have not had, including access to the love letters that he wrote to his longtime mistress, this Filipino lady named Pat Kelly, who eventually became a second wife. I also had access to the private letters that he wrote to his first wife, Helen, provided to me by their kids. And I'm actually the first person after Ed Lansdale himself to have read both sets of letters. And so that provides me with a vantage point on Lansdale that others have not had and enables me to write about him with a, with a depth and a complexity that goes beyond uh, some of the caricatures in in previous published works. And what is that personal side of Lansdale, the side that that you were able to see and that you write about in The Road Not Taken, what does that inform us about his policy ideas and the way he saw the world? Well, there was was a fascinating uh, uh, personal story to Lansdale, uh, which I uncover, uh, this romance that he struck up when he went to the Philippines in 1945 with Pat Kelly, this war widow, Filipina uh, woman, uh, single mother, 
working journalist and uh, who uh, served as a guide to him to the backcountry of, of the Philippines where he met many of the communist insurgents and they struck up a romance that lasted on and off for the rest of their lives. Uh, and he, you know, so I, I, I tell the story of the romance and these, and these very moving love letters uh, that he wrote to her and, and, and their relationship, which was not always easy because he remained married and eventually went back to Washington and, and back to his, his wife and family, uh, which was a crushing blow to, to Pat Kelly. Uh, but, you know, one of the things I'm proudest of in the book is to restore Pat Kelly to the position of prominence that she deserves in the Lansdale story, because up until now she has been the hidden other woman, but in fact she was tremendously important to Lansdale, not only personally but also professionally, because as a Filipina she was somebody who enabled him to understand the Philippines and Asia more broadly in a way that it's very hard for outsiders to do, and it was that understanding that underpinned all of the success uh, that he had as a counterinsurgent. And finally, does that make Lansdale sui generis in terms of understanding this approach to the world and this approach to counterinsurgency, or is it something that can still be taught? That's a good question. Um, In some ways, yes, Lansdale was unique, uh, and for both good and for ill. Uh, but and he definitely had an, an unusual skill set of empathy and, and emotional intelligence and understanding. But I think that is something that can be taught. It, it could certainly be selected for. Uh, but in, 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 to some extent, the CIA does that with its case officers, but certainly the military does not. The State Department does not. And I think those are attributes and characteristics that we, sh- that we should look for in, in people who are sent abroad uh, to deal with uh, foreign militaries and foreign governments because you know, I think people of the Ed Lansdale mold who are very, uh, who can establish friendships and, and trust are going to be much more successful than kind of a typical ugly American who comes in and, and lays down the law and, and issues ultimatums. That approach usually backfires. Max Booth, the book is The Road Not Taken, Edward Lansdale and the American Tragedy in Vietnam. Max, I thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you for having me. Great conversation. Thank you.